inside game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moraghan, and my brother J.S. to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and yes, we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today we introduce Trial of the Century Part 3, the 1920s era. And we have been discussing, at least in introductory form, the trial of the century involving Leopold and Loeb, the murdering geniuses of Chicago. And Chicago's long-standing reputation as murder city, murder capital, has long Deep-rooted tentacles, its reputation for mayhem has been well-earned. Killing has, has been embedded within Chicago's genetic code and has been since its beginning. Deciphering that from, from all the blood spilled on Chicago streets has proven far easier than, ha- than was the decades-long scientific pursuit of the deconstruction and decoding of the first sequence of the human genome. Solving the crime problems of Chicago has has proven even more difficult and has defied completely human understanding. The keys to ending the high crime rate, the high murder rate in Chicago, has escaped everybody that has thought about it. And, you know, murder in Chicago has not been restricted to uh, bloody gangland violence that, you know, terrorizes the city of Chicago today, nor, nor has it been restricted or was it ever restricted to the famous violent mobster shootouts that plagued the city back in the days when news accounts of of Al Capone, Bugsy Moran, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, John Dillinger, you know, Elliot Ness and the G-Men gained worldwide notoriety and kept the city of Chicago and stories of its violent ways on the front pages of newspapers during the Prohibition era of the 1920s and in the decades to follow. You know, at one point, the Chicago Tribune had reported that As of the late 1970s, the city had reported 893 gangland style, what they characterize as gangland style murders, you know, homicides that had been on the books for over the past five decades. And wouldn't you know it, the Chicago police had failed to successfully resolve a single case, not one of 893, despite the fact that the Chicago Police Department had been, quote, vigorously investigating, whatever that might mean, attempts to solve these gangland-style murders. I mean, you talk about cold cases, Chicago's got them, you bet. And and for decades leading up to the 1920s, 
It's worth noting for historical purposes that the Women's Christian Temperance Union and fundamentalist you know, Christian groups had made tremendous efforts all across the, the country to save the souls of fellow Americans and lessen their temptation to evil by banning alcohol sales in the United States. And, and this respect, this effort had been made irrespective of whether fellow Americans wanted their souls saved or not. It did not matter. They would be saved. Prohibition became the law of the land. The U.S. Constitution was amended. Holy, holy roller efforts, though, would backfire in a big way in Chicago, you know, as elsewhere, but especially in Chicago. By the mid-1920s, it was clear, totally clear, the bad guys were winning and winning large, as it is said. Across the nation, crime rates skyrocketed and millions of Americans via the amendment of the U.S. Constitution had been turned into criminals overnight by the mere stroke of a pen. And in Chicago itself, violence and murder rates metastasized. And while organized mobsters printed money and terrorized and killed you know, people to the, the degree they thought necessary, and as it turned out, it was seen as necessary that lots of people had to die, and, and many, many more needed to be terrorized. And the WCTU members and fundamentalist groups, you know, they may have been, in, you know, sincerely inspired by the Greek soldier historian Xenophon, you know, who defined temperance as moderation in all things healthful and total abstinence, total abstinence from all things harmful. And they may have proven successful in amending the U.S. Constitution, but they proved fundamentally, if you will, unsuccessful in their determined efforts to change people's behavior, you know, to save them from the fires of hell or from themselves. That was in the 1920s. Today, in 2023, we find people worldwide, they do what they want to do, and they resent other people's attempts to jam down their throats, unwilling, um, uh, their unwilling throats, extreme forms of perceived morality. They just don't like it. I mean, take the, <laughs> the Islamic Republic of Iran. Now, this is truly a gangrenous, violent bunch. I will say that. An extreme but illuminating illustration, nevertheless, you know, via its quasi-legal mob-like guidance patrol, you know, its morality police and Islamic religious police force and vice squad, you know, in combo, all in one. And, and they resort to all sorts of violence. They beat the crap out of people. Um, they execute them in public. They'll toss them out of windows to their death because citizens, male and female, refuse to knuckle under and conform to extremist interpretations of just what constitutes moral conduct. And still, 
people resist. People rebel. So prohibition in the United States stood no chance, no chance whatsoever of either surviving as law or of changing people's behavior. It's just not going to happen. But the attempt produced many, many deleterious, unintended consequences which are with us today, which took root then and have lasted for decades now. And 400 years ago, 400 years ago, Thomas Hobbes, the English philosopher, was right, of course, when he told us that the, the life of man is short, nasty, and brutish. And none of our now trendy, you know, nonsensical, you know, defund the police movements concepts make sense today, nor would they have made sense in Thomas Hobbes' day. Hell, they made no sense 2,400 years ago when Thucydides was busy writing that human behavior and motivations never change, never, ever change. When, now, now, now I feel like a hippie. When will we ever learn? When will we ever learn? Yeah. And in Chicago in 1924, beyond ordinary mischief, you know, petty crimes, uh, common drunken violence, and the organized mayhem of mobsters who truly were the monsters of the midway, uh, they had taken root. And by this time, even Chicago's brightest, smartest citizens, its intelligent, most intelligent child geniuses, even they were now inured to crime and would not be exempt from criminality. And they were shown to have plotted an evil murder and had taken great pleasure and immense pride in killing another child. And they had never, they had never blinked. For God's sakes, what was going on in this city? Yes, Chicago had been a and, and had always been a balls-to-the-wall, lethal, nasty city for a long, long time now. But this was the Leopold and Loeb murders. This was too much. Chirac, the title of the 2015 Spike Lee movie, featured insane levels of violence in Chicago, at which movie-making quality aside, it demonstrated that little had changed in the city of Chicago in the past century. Chicago had been before, and it remains today a very, very dangerous place. And in 1924, the Leopold Loeb kidnap and murder case, a thrill killing, it repelled an entire nation. And, and, and when citizens from all across the country volunteer at their own expense and express a willingness to travel cross-country to volunteer their services as an unpaid executioner of the two suspected murderers, Leopold and Loeb, I would suggest to you it is safe to say that people across the country were pretty fired up at the level of wanton violence that was taking place in Chicago, and they wanted something done about it. A mob of volunteers to serve as hangmen? Well, that's rather special, isn't it? You know, democracy in action, Chicago style. It's like Chicago style hot dogs, Chicago style pizza, Chicago style execution done by volunteers from around the country. 
My God. A century ago um, this month, almost to the day, two of Chicago's finest, and and I'm not referring to uh, a couple of Chicago's finest police officers. No, I'm speaking of two of the city's smartest, most talented teenage boys. 100 years ago today, what were they up to? They were already deeply, deeply immersed in the details of their plot to commit the perfect crime, the perfect murder. And they carried out their heinous homicide in May of 1924. Leopold and Loeb killed their neighbor, 14-year-old Bobby Franks, a neighbor and actually a cousin of Richard Loeb's. For, For poor Bobby Franks, his story was over. But for the rest of the world, the story had just begun. The two murderers were teenaged geniuses. And testing, testing con- had already then confirmed that Nathan Leopold had scored off the charts on intelligent testing. Estimates were that his IQ was an otherworldly 210 to 220 on the Binet scale. You have got to be kidding me. This is truly, freakishly intelligent. And, and, and relative to Leopold, that Richard Loeb, therefore, was relegated to the status of kind of an ordinary, extraordinary genius with his IQ being tested at in excess of 160, where the average IQ in this country is calibrated to be 100. That, that these two boys, these geniuses, were the sons of two of Chicago's the city of Chicago's most prominent families made the story that was coming out of Chicago oh, all the more horrifying and or all the more compelling. You know, decades before court TV, Facebook, Twitter, 24-hour news cycles, the country was just just absolutely riveted by newspaper accounts of the tragic, senseless mortifying details of the death of the 14-year-old Bobby Franks at the hands of two heartless, remorseless teenage murderers in Chicago. What was this country becoming? And, and, and Leopold and Loeb, it was found out and detailed in the newspapers post-killing their 14-year-old neighbor, cleaned up their blood-stained car, they, they burnt their clothing, and otherwise, you know, got rid of the evidence, tying them to the crime, and spent the rest of that day as if nothing unusual had taken place. And they played cards till late in the night. I mean, how, how can human beings have become so callous? I mean, so uncaring, hard-hearted, brutal, and barbaric, and for us, and for the people of 1924, what if Don Henley had it all wrong when, when he'd argued decades later in song that it's all about forgiveness? Forgiveness. What if, what if in the Windy City, even compassionless murderers were entitled to a defense counsel who might argue it's not about forgiveness? But it's about mercy. How might that play out in the city of Chicago in 1924? Well, well, that's what we're going to discuss. 
as we continue on in our upcoming episodes of the trial of the 20th century. Hey, thanks for listening and hope you'll tune in again. Bye-bye. Good day. Good night. I'm lost in a drift on the high seas.